sadly for the market and great for us is down markets are great for us. We get a huge uplift when there's a down market because people have to be serious around innovation and kind of like getting out and hustling, you know, not only keep their head above water, but actually grow. We had a rule day one. When I talked to the team, I said, okay, so our new uh, focus is innovate or die. Every one of our clients has to pivot within the next 30 days or we let them go. Y'all ready for this? Welcome to the Dan DeVerna Podcast, where we talk about business, life, and how to win it both. Here with my longtime business coach, mentor, business coach to the stars, Chris Flett. Well, hello, everyone, and thank you, Dan, so much for having me back on your channel. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Always fun to spend time together, even though we can't be having a, a whiskey in Las Vegas this year. You know, this is not even close to the next best thing, but it's like, it's on the list somewhere. So it's what well, I'm, mindful, I'm mindful of a card that I gave my mom when I was in about five years old, and it said, even though we're apart, you're always in my heart. It's nice. Very good. Well, and frankly, living in your garage for as long as I did, it just wasn't comfortable. I'm sorry, but the, the motorcycles did need to come back inside. And I appreciate you brought your own tent and so on. But really, we, the Canadians just, we want our American brethren to kind of stay safe down on that side of the border for the time being. Yeah, yeah, for the time being. So I'm going to hit you with a few questions. Uh, some things I thought we could talk about that that made sense considering the time we're in and then some other things that maybe it wouldn't matter what time we're in. But but having seen the strange things happening with, with this kind of COVID time, um, is there anything that surprised you with what you've seen from either from clients or maybe people that aren't your clients that are business owners or salespeople um, to the good or to the bad, anything that surprised you that, or that you're seeing out there? Yeah, you know what I've noticed is that that first couple of months, uh, people seem to be scared, and uh, rightfully so, right? There's a lot of unknowns. But prior to the last month, I've seen a sadness almost come across the market, and I think it's because people are realizing, you know, those holidays that they had to look forward to. I mean, I think of our Vegas trip. How long have we been going to Vegas? Six, five, six years? Mm. A lot of people are coming to the understanding that, in order to get control of what's happening both in the pandemic and the markets, uh, it's going to require a whole new level of discipline that we haven't really been forced uh, to come up with before. And so I have been kind of reminding clients and colleagues, hey, everyone, like this is, we're in a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, we now have a better understanding of the dynamics that we have to adjust to. Like, what are we for? March, April, May, June, July. So we're like four or five months into this. This is the new way of doing things for the foreseeable future. So acceptance is going to be 90% of that. But that sadness or the heaviness I see, I see everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like so many reasons for that. I mean, it's, it's the business relationships. It's somebody that has been, you know, on a plane traveling to see all the people in person. And now they're seeing them. And there's some, some bright spots to that. You know, spending t more time with your family, spending more time with those people that you're, you're closest to is is great but also i mean 
you know, we had, a, I know you had the same situation, but we had a Disney trip that was canceled, you know, summer vacation. Well, I don't know if that's a good idea. We were going to do this or do this, you know, and you're, you know, I mean, even my son Drake got back from being on the ship and I opted not to go visit him. And he's like, oh, come on, you can't come out for a few days. Well, you know, I could, I definitely could, but the risk reward is, you know, you got to be a grown up and make grown up decisions. And that's not always fun. And this is definitely one of those times. Well, I think for a lot of people, right, that's the thing and that we're, we're seeing is that people are like, but I've always done this. Like I've always visited family in the summer. And, and I see people that are like, you know, American friends that are coming up to Canada to visit Canadian relatives. And I'm like, you know, if there was ever a time to not do that, this is probably the time. And they're like, yeah, but we've been coming, you know, up to the Muskokas, which is in Ontario Lake Country for 20 years. Like, we don't want to stop that. Well, I know you don't want to stop it. And I know you probably don't want to wear a mask. And I probably, you probably don't want your kids to go to school, you know, two weeks or two days a week instead of five. And you probably want people to answer the phone when they don't. Like I've, I've never done the volume of calls that I've been doing this pandemic in, in my career. Like I'm doing 500 calls for what I used to accomplish in a hundred. And I guess for me, because I like things to be a bit hard, I'm leaning into the difficulty of this. And I think we're going to come out, those of us that callous ourselves using the Goggins kind of term, when you callous yourself to the situation of just accepting that a blister will become a callous, when we come out the backside of this, it's all going to be much easier. But to the, to the point you're bringing up right now, it is really hard, this, this initial process of adaptation. So that kind of bleeds into the next part of this, which is like, how much of this do you think is permanent? And how much of this is temporary in the way that we're doing business? Because business for you has changed, business for me has changed. And really, let's face it, business for everybody on some level has changed, for sure. Well, you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of the short-term stuff is the way that we're connecting with each other. But the long-term, I think, is going to be changed forever. I think office space is going to be changed forever. I think travel is going to be changed forever. Like even our Vegas trip, we were talking, I was talking to a couple of the the boys from from up here and we're like you know if vegas happens next year maybe we'll drive and so the thought a year ago of driving you know 1600 kilometers a thousand miles as compared to getting on a plane for two hours uh that wouldn't even be a consideration but now we're thinking through how do we make adjustments to stay safe to make sure that we're mindful of what everyone kind of needs to come out of it and and to kind of continue on the next stage but i one of our friends who just, you know, invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into a new commercial space has basically decided that they don't need that space anymore and they're going to allow their team to work remotely. And I think that, I mean, we've always worked remotely, right? All of our work is by phone and so on, but I've always been adamantly against doing presentations remotely. I'm an in-person guy. I like to feed from my audience. Like I like that interaction. I like shaking hands afterwards. I like all of that. And this fall, I think I'm booked for, I think we're at 18 or 19 conferences, virtual conferences. And I'm charging less because I don't have to travel there, right? If I go to New York, I travel the day before the event. I'm there the day of the event. I travel home the day after the event. And so a one 45-minute keynote is a three-day investment. One day this fall, I'm speaking at New York at 8 o'clock in the morning, Pittsburgh at 10 o'clock, and Chicago at 1 p.m. And never before have I been able to do that just due to, you know, being able to move between the cities. But in this situation, I'm making 50% of my speaking fees. I'm making 150% of what I would normally make in a day rate as a speaker. 
and I have exposure to three times the audiences rather than one. And so my own evolution has gone from I don't speak remotely to I may only speak remotely in the future, even when it's safe to travel in person. Yeah. So in this case, you're kind of taking advantage of the opportunity to kind of pivot, right? Like the, hey, I'm an in-person guy, but for now we're not going to do it in person and we'll see if that's permanent or we'll see if it's temporary. But that is like that. I love that conversation that there's people that are kind of taking this lemon and making lemonade out of it. Have you seen that with other business owners or salespeople or the people that you're talking to that are either in your flock or outside that you're seeing, you're starting to really like catch a kind of catch a groove with this. You know, everybody. And so I know that sounds weird, but everybody, we made it a mandate. I mean, the, our coaches, sadly for the market and great for us is down markets are great for us. We get a huge uplift when there's a down market because people have to be serious around innovation and kind of like getting out and hustling. And never has there been a market really since the financial crisis where people have had to hustle to, you know, not only keep their head above water, but actually grow. Uh, with our clients, we had a rule day one. So I came home from my exploded tour on March 13th, Friday the 13th. And when I talked to the team, I said, okay, so our new uh, focus is innovate or die. Every one of our clients has to pivot within the next 30 days or we let them go. And so on Monday, the call started going out saying, everyone, it's time to innovate. We think this is going to go on way longer than their forecasting is back then. You'll remember, Dan, the news was saying, you know, this could be two months, right? Like this is probably going to hold till May or June. When we were talking to the brainiacs at Morgan Stanley, their economists, they said this could be a two to five year recovery. And they were saying that back uh, March 16th. Mm -hmm. And so we reached out to all clients saying, we're not waiting it out and you're not waiting out. You're not going to feed off of your corporate treasury and wait for the good things to happen. We are adjusting sale or we're not working together anymore. And thankfully, we've, uh, I guess, developed the trust and the intimacy with our clientele that everyone's like, okay, let's come up with what the new plan is. And I'm, I'm happy to say only one of our clients uh, has failed, and, and we have literally tens of thousands under management. One has failed because they were short on capital at the wrong time, their market dissolved, and their, their market was quite limited anyway, and they got into trouble. And so we have now helped them kind of find a new opportunity that they're working in. But even you'll remember my friend Caroline, who you met in Vegas, who does a lot of event stuff, like literally overnight, her business, of course, shifts because she's an in-person event planner doing world-class events all over the world. I mean, the one we went to in Vegas, how many people? 20,000? Remember that? More, I bet more than that. Yeah, but remember, like, like they said, the budget was like a, a million dollars on tequila. Like, it, like. Yeah global events and you know like overnight those changed right and so she has shifted her model to coach corporations on how to run remote events which she knew how to do from back in the day when people couldn't attend events but they still wanted them involved and so she has emerged from let's say one of 20 people that can do what she does on the globe on that scale to one one of one the leader in how events get run remotely. And of course, she is getting the spoils and the benefits of being that person. Corporations, I mean, associations, probably even ones like you're a part of, right? Like the, the investment associations are now reaching out because they can't afford 
to not have some type of a, a member event for a year because members will leave. Yeah. And so she has gone from, she's our ringer to she is the lifeguard to our business model and she's being rewarded accordingly. Yeah. That's awesome. So in your situation, it sounds like most everybody was on board when you guys went to them. If you look out to the people that are not being coached, which is most, most business people, like how many business people do you think really kind of get it anyways? I mean, like it's nice. I've had you as a coach for 10 years and you know, Hey, it's time to adjust and shift. Think about this shift and think about this shift. That's nice. How are the people that don't have that? How are they doing? And, 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 you know, how many people out of a hundred do you think in the business world really understand what it really takes to own a business and to run a business successfully? Conservatively 2%. And so what I'm noticing in the market, and I, I've seen companies that were very strong a year ago that are going bankrupt or are shutting down. I've seen partnerships dissolving. I think the fundamental catch is, and, and on that video that you did with me on my channel, we talked about how people don't plan. And so there was a stat way back in the day when I taught marketing in around 2000, I taught it at an organization called Community Futures, which got unemployed people to become self-employed. And the stat back then, which I can't believe got better, so it could have only got worse, is it said 10% uh, of North American businesses plan for their business on a yearly basis. So one in 10, 10%. Mm. Of that 10%, 10% write it down. So the 10% that plan might sit down with their team and say, okay, guys, like, what do we want to do this year? But 10% of that 10%. So what is that? One tenth of a percent? Or yeah, 10, I'm sorry, 10% of 10%. Yeah, is 1%. One out of 100 companies has a written plan that they follow. The success rate at the time, so this is back at 2000, was 98.7% regardless of market dynamic because they had a measurable that they could measure their strategy against. And so I know like you, Dan, and like in our business as well, as soon as we saw the wind starting to shift, and I noticed them when I was in Santa Barbara in early March, I immediately looked at our plan and decided how it needed to be adjusted given what I thought was coming. And I continued to tweak that, but I'm tweaking a plan that is 100% complete. So I'm making little adjustments where a lot of people were scrambling going, I guess we should come up with a plan. Many of those businesses are shut down and they will never reopen. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's something. Let's shift gears a little bit from, from everybody else to, to, to just to kind of you and I. And one of the things I like about our relationship, and we're, so we're kind of showing people in this next part something that we do all the time. So I ask you, we're texting back and forth, communicating about things like habits. And I think one of the most important things in life is, is having some certain habits. And I'm always picking your brain about, hey, you know, if you were going to share a habit that you've picked up since the COVID stuff happened, what would that be as a new habit that that's developed for you? And then also long-term you've got, you know, a slew of habits and things that you do consistently. What would be one that might be an oldie, but a goodie? That's a great question. Well, so the new habit that I picked up is I regularly pre COVID did one hour of cool calls a day 
And I've done that basically for the last 20 years. I do one hour of cold calls every workday. If I miss a day, so let's say I'm traveling or whatever, and I don't finish the hour, I add it to the next day. And so if I only did 20 minutes on Tuesday, I might do an hour 40 on Wednesday. Uh, when COVID was hitting and I had a really basic idea of where I thought it was going, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be what it's become. I, I saw a small percentage of that. I decided that I was going to make as many calls as required each day to get the same number of responses as I was getting on 20 calls. And when I say response, a response is a yes, a no, or an I don't know follow up, but it's not a voicemail. And I have now gone from making cold calls an hour a day to regularly doing four hours of cold calls to get the exact same outcome. Wow. That new habit for me is I'm just doubling down on what I know works. And because it's harder to get it done, I haven't adjusted my plan to have less engagement. I've adjusted my plan to make more outbound to get the same level of engagement. So that's, that's a new habit that I don't love. Like, I really don't love it. I really liked what I was getting, you know, up until, let's say, early March with an hour a day. I don't like that I have to do four times the work for the same outcome. Habits that I had before that I'm carrying through, which kind of go in line with that sheer volume of phone calls, is I get up every morning very early, on average, 4.30 in the morning. Pre-COVID, I got up at 4.30 so I could have a pot of coffee. Yes, I said pot, not cup. A pot of coffee be at the gym for a 5.30 open, be done my workout by 7.30, be on the phone by eight o'clock and do my hour of cold calls, then my coaching calls. The gym obviously is closed. I haven't changed the habit of getting up early, but I will get up at 4.30, 4.45. I will still have a pot of coffee, but I live on the West Coast. So I start making my East Coast cold calls at five, around 5, 5.30 a.m., which is 8, 8.30 Eastern time. And then I start working the clock back as we go across the country. And so my California, Oregon, Washington state calls are my last calls a day. My Massachusetts, my New York, my Miami, my Georgia, those calls all happen first. So I have just swapped out the working out at 530 for the additional phone volume. And then what I did is I went on Amazon right when this was all hitting and I bought myself a bow rope, a bench, a couple kettlebells, some workout stuff, uh, workout bands. And now I do my workouts in the afternoon or night where I used to always do it in the morning. Now I prefer to work out in the morning because I'm tired by the time the afternoon's done, especially after four hours of, of cold calls and let's say two or three hours of coaching calls. But I have adapted to getting the workouts in. Are they as good as they were? No, but I'm still doing them. And I'm refusing to break the habits, which I know I appreciated the spoils of. So that's one example of a habit that I've carried through, but I've made just a little adjustment on how I, how I schedule the day. So if you do your cold calls and you accomplish, you know, you get to that six or however many people you said you were going to reach out to and actually get in touch with, if you mm -hmm. do that and you get your workout, is that a successful day or is there more things that have to go into a day for you to make it to feel at the end, like, Oh, I did, you know, I did good today. Great question. And so, and I actually thought your question was going to go in a different direction. So there have been days where I do two hours of calls. So twice as much as I used to may do, but half as much as I've been doing. And I have a certain amount of engagements I have to have each day and a certain amount of money I need to generate each day. And so those are the two metrics that I use in my head. And a, a friend just asked me, he said, on the days where after two hours you get 
you hit your mark, do you stop? And I don't. And so I'm now on a four hour routine. And so when I get to, I know I'm going to have days where I might not get any. And I had, as I shared with you, a week where I went five, four days, four or five days without talking to one human person. <clears throat> now, excuse me, on the Friday, I hit gold. I hit a massive opportunity, which goes to show stay consistent. But on days where I hit in two hours, I still do the four for two reasons. One, to callous myself. So to get used to the hard run. But number two, I know I'm going to have bad days. So I might as well throw some extra ones in the bank that I can work off of on the days where it doesn't go well. That's interesting. So uh, the, the thing that kind of, if I'm going to take what you do and then add something I do, I, I always, when I started in this business, I was always set to schedule two appointments a day. And then I started to realize how many people canceled. And so I went to three appointments a day. This is a Tim Croak philosophy that he gave me when I entered in the late 90s, right? And, and so we went to three appointments a day. And then I realized if it was Tuesday afternoon and I already got my three, like it's way easier to get number four, five, six, seven, eight, because you have the momentum. So right. a lot of people think, oh, geez, I got that thing. I got it going this, this fast. I did my job for the day. I can shut it down. It, some days I would do that. I mean, truthfully, I would do that. But other days, most days, it, and those were when it just sometimes it just, you know, you have days where it's easy to run and other days where it's just miserable to run. And well, so, you know, I mean, because we play blackjack, right? Aces follow aces and faces follow faces. And so winners win. And so when you're winning, why would you stop, right? Like whatever you're doing that day is working. So keep on pumping it until that tank is empty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's funny because that's not a philosophy that's lived by many. Like it is, but I also think there's a difference between how we feel about our jobs, if you will, in comparison to most people. You know, most of the people that I talk to on a daily basis, they, they don't feel about their job the way I feel about mine or the way you feel about yours, I don't think. Well, even when I'm getting kicked in the teeth, which happens all the time, I'm having a good time, right? Like I'm having, it was back to when, you know, you know that I was a bouncer back in the day. And uh, I remember some nights, like, you know, when you look back on it, my, actually my 12 year old said, you know, have, dad, have you been in a lot of fights? I'm like, yeah, not a lot of fights. Right. And I was telling this to a couple of buddies who I used to bounce with. And they're like, you were a bouncer for five years. You work 250 nights a year. And on average, we got into one to three fights a night. And so if you do the math, we, each of us had probably been in between 1100 and 1500 fist fights. And which is, that's unbelievable even to say out loud. And I did the math a couple of times because I said, it's almost impossible because it didn't seem like that much. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is when I was going outside to beat on someone and I ended up getting an equal or greater beating, I was still having a pretty good time. And maybe that condition us for business is a kick in the teeth is still kind of a good story. Oh, and yeah. so I enjoy my closes as much as I enjoy the epic shot down where people are so freaking rude on the phone. Like I, I almost tucked those aside because those are special to me. I really like when people are super rude to me on the phone. Yeah. Well, I think in my situation, thinking back to the way I was raised or thinking back, I, I always grab Cooper tire. That's like, there was a really easy thing that I remember about Cooper. Like the first day I went to work there, I remember they told me how much money I was going to make and I didn't care what I was going to have to do for that money. Didn't matter. So I quit my other job, went to work there. And I remember 
driving home in the car after the first day of work, not crying, but weeping, <laughs> like wondering what I quit a perfectly good job to do this. My hands were like that. I, I was putting, pulling mandrels for the local people and that know what that is. Like you're taking rubber and you're sliding it over these hot things and you're getting burns and your rubber doesn't slide well on anything. That's why we use it for tires. Is it, it was a tough job. My worst day in this job is not even close to being as bad as a reasonable and average day at Cooper Tire. So I really love and appreciate not just the history of Cooper Tire and that I had that, but, but like it gives you perspective. Like, you know, and now fast forward, we have a thousand households. We're, you know, own a business where we got a bunch of advisors that work for us. We own, have, you know, an awful lot of money under management. And it doesn't feel like work, which, which leads me into the next question for you, which is um, how many days, like if you, I don't know if you map it out for a week or a month or a year, how many days at the end of the day does it feel like you worked? Like, do you feel like, oh, it doesn't ever feel like work or it always feels like work or somewhere in the middle? Because I think about my job and there's just so few things that I do now that really feel like work. Great question. I, uh, so my days are hard. And so I, you know, I have that thing where I'm like, gladiators eat first, right? The people that work hard get fed the most. Uh, I think I answer the kind of the question two-faced. And so one is my days are hard. Like some days are really hard. And when the end of the day is done, you know, five o'clock in the afternoon, like I'm actually ready to go to bed. Now it could be because I got up, you know, 13 hours before, but I'm tired. But on the other side, I'm afforded the opportunity to only work with people that I really like and to do projects that I enjoy. And so I never feel like I have to do something. I always feel like I get to do something. And my worst moment in my week is Fridays at five. Because I feel like if you think of a hockey analogy, I feel like I'm getting put in the penalty box from five o'clock on Friday until Monday morning at 8 a.m because most people are not doing anything on the weekend. I've actually trained myself to not work on weekends, but I used to go into a depression Friday afternoons because it's like the last day at Disneyland for people that like Disneyland is like, you know, this is the last ride and then we have to go home. And I always felt like I don't get to talk to anyone now for 72 hours. Like this doesn't, this doesn't seem fair. So my work is hard. It takes, you know, the responsibility like you, when I get the calls right, clients, do very well. Business grows. They make a lot of money. If I get something wrong, the consequences could be huge. Same with you, Dan. Mm -hmm. And so I take a lot of responsibility in making sure that I'm showing up and I'm doing what I'm being paid to do. But inversely, like a lot of, at the end of a long day, I'm tired. Like I've, I've had enough. It's not uncommon for me to sneak out in the garage. And in our garage, we have a 132 inch projection screen it's not uncommon for me to go out there for a, with a cigar after supper with the family and have quiet time for a couple hours because I've spent six, seven hours talking to people. And so you, you come up with these little coping mechanisms to give yourself a little bit of a break before you get back into the battle. But it's a, it's a battle that I welcome. Yeah. 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 So I got time for one more question and that is, and I'm referencing. So, so the, over the course of this summer, my son Derek has been kind of back in my house a lot. So we, you know, we have a nice spot. There's an apartment above the garage. He's been around a lot. 
and it's really great. He's doing some jujitsu with me and we're enjoying that together. But I'm thinking of, you know, for me to be dad and tell him things, it doesn't always go the best. But if you were able, whether you were going to talk to Derek, who's 27, or if you were going to go back and talk to Chris when Chris was 27, like what would you, like what, what parting wisdom, what would you go back and say, hey, Derek, or hey, Chris, like here's a couple things that I wish somebody would have told me, or maybe somebody did tell you, and, and you're like, that was a really valuable nugget there. So are we able to bleep out anything on this channel? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so the advice that my dad gave me that I give all young people now is my dad, when I was, I think I was 15 or 16, I told him I wanted to be wealthy. And my dad was of that mindset, right? Like you can, you can create the life that you want. And so my dad's advice to me was eat for 20 years and learn a craft. And if you do it for 20 years, so bypass the holidays, bypass the big cars, bypass the debt, bypass all of that. If you eat for 20 years and learn your craft and how to manage and engage people, you will live the rest of your life as a king. And so from 16 to 36, I didn't go to Costa Rica on university, you know, like on uh, university spring break, like every summer, the day after university let out, I was working three jobs, landscape in the morning, restaurant in the evening, bounce at night. I'd sleep from two until six. I'd get up in landscape and I did that. I, I worked a job seven days a week, but I worked those three, five days a week. And so at 36, I was already in a financial position to never have to work again, for my kids to never have to work again, for my grandkids to never have to work again. And I took my first vacation. And you know what I was thinking on my entire vacation, Dan? Guilt. No. I wish I brought my laptop so I could get some work done because I, after 20 years, and I mean, it wasn't the whole 20 years, but of eating, learning the craft, learning what to do, learning what not to do. I mean, half of what I get paid for is to get clients to not do things that are going to be a mistake because I made them. Mm -hmm. And the benefit I had is at 36, 36, yeah, at 36, I was full time in those seal. Think tank, I think was already sold. I got to hang out with people that I liked talking about my favorite topic and got to work with them in building their businesses, you know, 20 hours a week. And that really, my dad's gone now, but his best piece of advice was that. So if I was talking to Derek or to young Chris or what I say to my 12 year old is nothing is below you, eat, learn your craft. And if you forego and just defer, I didn't say I was never going to take a holiday. I never said I was going to have a sports car or a nice house or any of that. But all of my friends were struggling with debt and making their decisions based on that debt. I didn't have that. I didn't have a nice car. I had a car, I had a Jeep. And I, I just got at 46, the first new vehicle I've ever had in my life. I've always bought used. And the only reason I got new is because I had to dump a seven series BMW where the turbos were going to blow. And the only place I could get a good value was Toyota. So I got a new Toyota truck on lease that the company pays for. At the end of four years, I will give it back to them and drive my 1985 F-250 because that's who I am. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time today. I know it's uh, very valuable. Very it's very valuable. It's always a pleasure and the bill is in the mail. Excellent. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your day and I'm sure we'll talk sometime very soon. Oh, thank you so much, Dan. And thanks for getting out of the garage, by the way. Very nice. No problem. Thanks. Uh, yeah. uh.
Thanks for watching.